What's up, guys? Before we get to the interview with Coach Pollard, I just want to say real quick, at the 50-minute mark of this podcast, we do address everything that's going on with our country with George Floyd, racism in the United States, the protests. You know, We tried to talk about everything that was going on for 25 minutes or so. You know, This is a sports podcast. We usually try to you know, joke around and talk about the lighter side of sports and get to know different people in the baseball and D3 community. But, you know, it, it's impossible for us to ignore what's happening. And, you know, we, we are not experts on what's going on. We're all just trying to be better and trying to educate ourselves and to take action because staying silent, we talked about it, it was not an option. So, again, that's at the 50-minute mark. If you guys have any feedback for us, anything you know we missed or anything that we're just completely wrong on, you know, we we want to learn and we're planning on trying to have some you know people that are more connected and educated on this problem on the podcast for, you know, future future weeks, future months, whatever it might be. This is an issue that we're not going to forget and it's something that I think we all are very committed to continuing to push the momentum and keep the keep the foot on the pedal so we love you guys we hope you guys are staying safe and hope you guys enjoy this interview with coach pollard previously on the division three's finest podcast playing in a d3 game like you know maybe the one through four guys are pretty solid and then like five through nine is like like for sure next year accountant dude so like, like podcasters like, yeah no offense boys but um, <laughs> If you weren't a baseball coach, what would you be doing with your life right now? I'd have been an accountant. I had a base head or something. And I come in and I'd never even talked to him. And he goes, well, where are you from? And I just, like, instinctively just said D3. Like, right away. And he's asking <laughs> my hometown. If we post this clip on Twitter, how many retweets would our post have to get for you to send me a jersey? <laughs> What's your favorite baseball movie of all time and why is it Bull Durham? <laughs> I have to say Paul Durham, right? Yeah, I think it's a weird brag to be good at like running far. Like, I don't care. Keep bragging yeah, like you're good exactly. at eating salad. So out of us three podcasters, who do you think would be the best coach? Ben seems like he could be a really good recruiter. And I'm showing up late to the podcast, so I guess yeah, I don't yeah. really have much room to talk. Your, your mic's on mute. I, I'm not <laughs> Episode 84 of the Division 3's Finest Podcast, coming up next. What's up, guys? Episode 84 of the Division 3's Finest Podcast. How's everyone doing? Good, man. Happy to be here. Um, like I said, um, you know, before the show, miss you guys. Things have been kind of crazy. So it's good to kind of regroup with the homies, say what's up, talk and get a little stress, stress reliever in my week. Uh, great interview coming up. So, you know, just it's always nice to sit down and do something you like. For sure. And before we get started with our podcast preview and interview with Coach Pollard, we got to introduce the other member of the podcast, the reoccurring guest and my friend. Got to give him a shout out since he's not here all the time. So it's always a special occurrence when he does make an appearance on the podcast. But Andrew Gillen, also my friend and co-host, uh, would you like the honors of officially giving Coach Jacob the ball Schubert an introduction? It would be honestly, there's not many things that I could think about that I would enjoy more than doing that for you, Ben. Uh, my friend and co-host Ben. Love that. Um, yeah, love to have him. He made time on his busy schedule, no vacations, uh, got all of his equipment working for us, made the time in his day 
coach Jacob the Bald Schubert, a legend amongst reoccurring guests, a legend in the podcast community. I mean, the resume speaks for itself, buddy. How you doing? No, I'm doing great, man. Uh, you know, happy to be back with the boys, like you alluded to earlier. Uh, you know, this is my favorite day of the week. Whenever we, you know, record these podcasts, you sometimes it's not always Tuesday night. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I just or it's just being never, here. or you just or it's just not at all. Yeah, I just love being here, and you know, happy had a great interview and stuff. So it was good. Well, I think we do need to mention. I'll I'll take I'll do the. I'll do the service of uh, clarifying um, a certain co-host. Myself was a little late to this interview. Um, had some real life, you know, work going on. A little, ran a little late. Whatever, doesn't matter. Um, what does matter is that I still made the effort to get to this episode, and and that's coming from work. And and one thing I do want to say is there are some people, and I'm not going to name any names, but who would miss a podcast for vacation. So not even something like. I mean, it's not even serious, you know what I'm saying? So, so, you know, you say you like it so much, you know, and then you don't, you don't come on on vacation. Like, while well, I'm out here making time, you know, working my work schedule around this. So, uh, but my point being, you're going to hear like a weird, uh, you won't hear me at all. And then uh, magically with Ben's editing, I will enter the podcast in a, in a flurry of great questions. So enters the chat. Yeah. Heads up for that. Yeah. And, Andrew enters the chat. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up that uh, I just, if it sounds like I wasn't there for the first half, it's because I wasn't. But um, Gil, my fellow co-host, obviously an awesome interview that you missed a little bit of, but what were some of your takeaways from our interview with Coach Pollard? Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you made a joke, like I was a little late, uh, I guess, but I think this is, it almost makes it more kind of, it reaffirms what I wanted to say. I mean, just, I joined in late and immediately got like, you know, I would have played for this dude. Like I, I figured that out within probably 10 seconds uh, of being in the call or whatever. And then that was just confirmed, you know, through the, through the questions and stuff. I mean, he's a, you tell he's a super intelligent guy, like has thought through, I mean, some of the things he brought up and one of your questions, Ben, just on the current state of not to get into it too much, but his current state of baseball professional, maybe specifically. Um, and, and just kind of some of the points he brought up is like, you know, I, you know, I maybe never would have thought about that. So, so he's like a smart guy. You can tell why, you know, he is so successful. Um, and I think that's, it's a, it seems like a cop-out answer, but that's my favorite part of the interview is like, we have this successful guy on kind of maybe directly, indirectly showing us how he is so successful. So um, I think people can kind of get, you know, a lot out of this, out of this interview and, and just even more so maybe just the attitude to take towards certain things. I love it when we get something, I'm kind of ranting a little bit, but especially us just dealing with sports. But one of the best things about sports is a lot of lessons you learn are life lessons that you just happen to learn in your sport. So I think he does a good job of, of talking about a lot of those things. And for, I guess it's still related to baseball, but uh, some of the stuff is how he's as a coach and a staff and people, non-players handle things. And I think that's something that, you know, translates uh, across professions you know, livelihoods, whatever. Uh, so hearing that stuff, hearing successful people tell you why they're successful is, is always nice. For sure. And just, first of all, like, I don't, I always wonder if, you know, whenever coaches, we send them the link after, you know, we release the episode and I wonder if they listen to this part. Cause you know, we always obviously gas them up, but we're not BSing. Like, obviously we're not going to say anything negative, but all our guests have been 
awesome. So we say, you know, really positive things and coach Paul is just a great guy and something, you know, I'll, I'll tell you guys that that happened right after the episode, literally probably 30 seconds or a minute after coach Pollard sent me a follow up email, just saying, thanks for having us. And, you know, he's, he's the head coach of Duke university and, you know, I'm just a, I just have a D3 podcast where, you know, it's not, we have 500 followers. We're not that big time. So for him to, you know, follow up that quickly with us and thank us for having him on the show. And, you know, that's awesome. That shows that all these guys, coach Pollard specifically, they're great guys Mm -hmm. in general. You know, they're not just great coaches and, you know, competitive and awesome at their jobs. They're great human beings. So it's awesome to, you know, see that kind of behind the curtains to see that positivity and all the things I do. And one, of the, and one of the things I want to mention, just real quick, sorry, Shuba, I know we're not really, you got, you're up next, but just you're fine. on that same note of like everything we're saying, like, and I think what was the most impressive is it, it all, everything we've said is true. And it was still, sometimes, you know, you'll meet those people and it's, I don't know, it's a lot, like they're a lot just because of, just because of what it takes maybe to like, you know, right. get to that. But I mean, he was just one of the guys, you know, like it didn't feel like, you know, any different or, or anything like that. Like he's just one of the guys. It was a great interview, smooth. I mean, I joined in halfway through and it, it you know, you, I didn't feel like I was, you know, it, I, it felt yeah. normal as soon as I started talking. So um, right. just, I think that speaks to him, uh, you know, as a person, I think, you know, a lot of that comes through in his interview. I mean, obviously that's the point, but I don't know. I'm just excited for you guys to hear it. Sorry, Shu. Yeah, you're fine. No, I mean like, so you know, as a young coach that I am, if the listeners don't know, I am a young uh, college coach at USC Lancaster for you first-time listeners. But like, Shut up. Whenever we, have, whenever we have coaching or coaches on the show, I always try, you know, to soak in as much information as possible just to, you know, to hear what's, what's made them so successful regardless if they're, you know, Division three level, Division one level, what it be. Uh, but, you know, like I really enjoyed hearing how he got into coaching and, you know, how he talks about, you know, he, he started in the Coastal Plains League and, you know, I'll be coaching in the Coastal Plains League hopefully in 11 days if, if our season continues, uh, you know, and then just hearing about what the most important part of coaching is, you know, like I said, I just, as a young coach is trying to soak in all the information from a guy who's the head coach at Duke University, you know, having the opportunity to talk to him, <clears throat> you know, I'm truly blessed to have that opportunity and, you know, I, I'm, I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. I also loved his positivity, you know, he talked about positive positivity during quarantine he talked about positivity facing direct challenges like for instance you know duke being such a great school he talked about the challenges of that and turning it into a positive thing you know making that into a uh, a challenge that they make into a strength um he also talked about appalachian state how it you know was such a cold school known as a football school and he talked about how they turned that into a strength as well so obviously Super positive guy. That was one of my takeaways. Um, talking to him, his points about building a program was some of the best parts of the podcast as well. And then I really liked our rapid fire questions as well. I think throughout an interview that was really good and filled with, you know, serious baseball questions, he gave us a lot of good side stories about, you know, just random stuff that I think you guys will enjoy, not only enjoy the baseball part, but, you know, laugh during different parts of the episode as well, which is, you know, kind of what we're trying to do. We're, you know, we're a sports podcast, but we're also trying to, capture the lighter part of sports as well and you know joke around and try to make you guys laugh so i think we did a good job and he did a great job of sharing some stories and capturing both sides of what we're trying to do all right i think that's all we got for our episode preview i hope you guys enjoy our interview with duke head baseball coach chris pollard coach pollard sorry i was my i felt disrespectful just saying that but ben please cue the air horn a few moments later 
Now joining us on the podcast, this is his first appearance on the show. He's the head baseball coach at Duke University, and he's probably also our fifth or sixth guest of all time that has a Wikipedia page. So that's pretty big time as well. Also had an awesome playing career at Davidson College where he ranks highly in virtually any pitching statistic you can think of. Coach Pollard, thank you for joining us on the podcast. First question, how's quarantine life treating you? And, you know, when can we get Coach K on the podcast? <laughs> wow. I'll follow up to that first question. Um, you know, quarantine has been uh, challenging. It's been uneven. Uh, it's at times been a really good reset on, you know, kind of slowing down life and spending more time with family. Uh, you know, there's, I, I tell folks that asked, there's sort of a range of emotions that we've experienced uh, since March 12th from shock to sort of grief and sadness at the season uh, ending to anxiety about what's going to happen in front of us, the draft, summer baseball, what's going to happen with the fall. And, and now, you know, I think some signs of, of hope and excitement as you see baseball starting to return around the country. So it's it's run the gamut. Um, you know, from a personal standpoint, it, it's it's been um, it's been kind of a, a silver lining to spend so much time with family. This is you guys live in this world. It's a very demanding profession. Um, we're on the road a lot. We don't take a lot of timeouts. But, uh, you know, we've had more meals around the dinner table as a family than we've had uh, in the last two months and we've probably had in the last 10 years. Uh, so we, we've enjoyed that time together. And to be candid with you guys, I feel kind of guilty saying that, you know, when, it, when there's, there's so much hurt out there right now between the virus and the economic pinch and now what's going on in, in our country over the last week. Um, but, you know, selfishly, I have enjoyed this time with my sons and my, and my wife. For sure. And, you know, if we can't get Coach K on the podcast, you know, we can settle with Steph Curry or Marcus Stroman. That would be, that'd be pretty good as well. Um, Sadno, what's your relationship with Coach K like? Uh, you know, Coach has been terrific to our program. He's, he's, he's been a mentor to me. He's been a great resource. Um, he's awesome on the re recruiting trail for us. Uh, you know, we've, we've had some of our top recruits come in and, and on official visits and they've met with Coach and, uh, he's, he's great. As you can imagine, you know, he's yeah. reeled in a lot of big recruits over his career. So he's, uh, he's a pro at it. What a lot of people don't realize about coach is he's a big baseball fan. You know, he grew up in Chicago. He's a huge Cubs fan. He just enjoys the sport and he follows the sport very closely. And, you know, we're humbled by how closely he follows us as a program. You know, after a big win, after, a, you know, a, a big moment in our program, oftentimes he's one of the very first text messages that will pop up in my phone. Just mm -hmm. says a lot about the quality of person he is. Uh, he loves Duke so much. Uh, he, you know, that's, that's one of the other neat things about Coach. He doesn't just love Duke basketball. He loves Duke University. And he's still after all of these years. I, th I think the thing that I've grown to appreciate most about him after all of these years of coaching and all the success, he still has so much energy and passion, you know, mm. to watch him in a practice, to watch him um, manage a game from the sideline. He, he just is full of passion and energy. And I, I tell you, to, to do it as long as, as he has at such a high level, it, it says a lot. Right. 
Yeah, so the first big-time journalism question we have here, the theme of our podcast name, Division Three's Finest, comes from us being former, yet obviously very elite Division Three athletes who are now elite podcasters instead. Uh, now, you're definitely beyond that. You had an awesome uh, playing career at Davidson and played several years of indie ball before getting into coaching, which has obviously worked out very well for you. But what drives your passion for the game? And give us some background into your uh, coaching career. I appreciate the kind words, but, you know, I, I got into coaching by accident. Uh, I, I never saw myself while I was a player uh, trending into coaching. You know, my playing career at the professional level didn't turn out like I scripted it. It was over a lot quicker than I planned. And, you know, initially in, in, um, in 1996, I graduated, signed a pro contract, played, had a really uneven first year of professional baseball. I came back to Davidson with the thought process that I was going to train during the offseason, utilize the facilities, help out where I could, but it wasn't in any way an official coaching capacity. But probably three months into that first fall back at Davidson in, in the fall of 96, I, I got a call about serving as a pitching coach in a collegiate summer league you guys are probably familiar with the Coastal Plain League, right? The uh, Collegiate right. Summer League. Well, this was the very first year that the Coastal Plain League was coming into existence. Uh, the spring of 97 was going to be the first year for the league. And I'd been invited to go and, and be a pitching coach. And, um, you know, I, I said kind of in the first phone call I had, I, I said, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I'm still playing and, and I want to keep pursuing this as a player. Never forget, I hung up the phone and, my, my roommate at the time was our other assistant coach at Davidson, a good friend of mine named Brett Beretti, who's now the head coach at Columbia University. And he'd be a great guy to get on this uh, uh, podcast. He's, he's been successful as a player, but also coached at the Division three level, very successful. And he, now he's at, uh, doing great things at Columbia. But he kind of gave me some tough love when I hung up the phone. He said, I don't know what you're doing, man, but, you know, your playing career isn't exactly taken off. You might want to think about calling them back and, and telling them that, uh, that you'll consider taking that job. And after kind of getting my feelings hurt a little bit, I thought about it for a couple of days and wound up taking that position. The, the opportunity at Davidson evolved into initially a part-time position and then eventually a, a full-time coaching position. I think what initially drew me to coaching you guys was – the opportunity to just to continue to compete that that's the side of the game that I was really passionate about as a player. I love to compete, love the one-on-one -on -one battles between a pitcher and a hitter. So I, 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 I was attracted to being able to continue to do that. The older you get as a coach, uh, the competition is still important, but it gets way more about the relationships and, um, and, and certainly, Whereas I still love to, to compete and love the competition. Uh, for me, it's more about the relationships that I've developed with our, with our team, with our players, with our staff, with other coaches and other colleagues in, in this great game. For sure. And, you know, Shub has actually turned into the coaching game as well. He coaches at USC Lancaster. Yeah, sure. Juco school. So he's continued that trend. Hopefully, I mean, I I'm envy him sometimes and then I'm in a completely different field of maybe someday uh, you know, I'll turn to that as well. Cause I definitely miss the competition, like you said, and especially the relationships. And so something we've been doing recently with our guests, you know, 
there's a ton of other podcasts out there. So you got to do something a little different to stand out from the bunch. So just to kind of loosen things up a little bit before we dig deeper into your baseball background and everything you're doing at Duke, uh, we're going to do some quick rapid fire questions. So these sure. are um, going to be a little lighter, not your typical interview questions, but basically we're just looking for quick answers. You know, if something comes up and you have a side story, you know, feel free to share, but are you ready to go? Absolutely. All right. Um, what's your, what's the most important part about coaching? Again, I think it's people skills. It's a be, being able to connect with guys on their own level. Okay. Yeah, that's what Coach Bell actually told us as well. So it seems like we're getting that answer a lot from coaches. Second one we have is, uh, do you have any crazy baseball superstitions? And if not, what's the weirdest one you've seen from one of your players or a former teammate? Oh, my, my players will, will – and, and former players will love me answering this question um, – I have tons of superstitions. Uh, I, I call it part of my process. Those guys just say I'm very superstitious. You know, when I was a player, I used to wear the same sliders and I never washed them. And, uh, you know, that gets to be pretty disgusting. Uh, as, a, as a coach, you know, my, my superstitions tend to kind of go with the flow as we're playing. You know, maybe if we're playing well and I'm eating the same meal, I'll keep eating it over and over again. You know, I've had tacos like nine nights in a row sometimes because we're playing well. But um, I tend to be a creature of habit, so uh, a, a lot of a lot of what I do gets uh, you know accused of being superstition. And how about your players specifically? Have you seen any throughout the years that your players doing some crazy things to try to get the team some wins? <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, this is a funny story. We had a, we had a um, a player who was a catcher and. Um, it, you know, guys used to store their gear down in the um, kind of in the in the in the storage area behind our dugout, so they didn't have to lug it back and forth to the locker room. At some point along the way, you know, he laid laid his stuff on the ground, and and um, at some point along the way, a mouse had climbed up in his bag and and kind of made a home, and it's you know. It, it, didn't didn't survive uh, being carried around in the bag for terribly long. So at one point, and of course, you know, Jeff didn't know it uh, the whole time this was going on, but at, at one point his bag was unzipped and kind of had flopped open. And uh, one of his teammates said, Jeff, do, do you know you have a dead mouse in your, in your bat bag? And he was playing really well at the time. So rather than dispose of it, he decided to carry that around with him and continued to haul it around as long as he was, was swinging it well. So as you guys both know, you know, players will do some crazy things when things are going well. For sure. It's all about winning, whatever gets you Ws. Um, sure. so next one we have is, what's the longest bus ride you've had to go on either in your coaching or playing career? And what's your go-to gas station snack? <laughs> That's a really good question. Thank you. Uh, we, we've had some really long bus rides o over the years. Uh, longest bus ride. Uh, I can tell you in – Probably 2006, I think it was, uh, when I was coaching at Appalachian State, we played at Florida State. And we were busing back from Florida State, which is already a long bus ride. And we were, if you know Appalachian State, it sits up in the North Carolina mountains. So you get a lot of snow in the winter. And it was an early season uh, series that we had with Florida State. And as we were getting closer and closer back to Appalachian, to Boone, North Carolina, where App is, we ran into a snowstorm, and the bus got stuck going halfway up the mountain. 
And so we were, we were stuck there on the side of the mountain for three or four hours. And literally at times guys were out like pushing on the bus, trying to help us get up the mountain. So that turned into probably our longest bus ride ever. Um, my go-to, like, uh, I try to eat healthy now, you guys. So this is back in the day, but right. my go-to would have been a burrito, uh, you know, like yeah. the burritos that you throw in the microwave. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. We've heard some healthy ones on the podcast recently. We've been trying to get some of those answers. So I'm happy to hear you were a little more unhealthy back in the day. Nowadays, it'd be more like a salad uh, and mixed okay. nuts. But yeah. uh, back in the day, I, you know, I would, I would do a, uh, a burrito and a chili dog with the best of them. Yeah, it sounds pretty good to me. If you weren't a baseball coach, what would you be doing in life right now? That's easy. I'm, I'd be a meteorologist. I'm a huge weather nerd. Okay. I like that. And what's one thing that D3 players and coaches go through on a daily basis that most sports fans don't know about? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I coached at the division two level for a long time and, and um, you know, I, I think just the, the, the daily grind, right. The routine of, of class and, and practice and training room and lift and study hall. And, uh, you know, I, I think folks that haven't, lived our sport at the college level don't realize just how much of a grind it is on a day in and day out basis and 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 how much you got to love it uh, you know we we all talk about and I'm sure you've heard the expression co the college baseball season is a marathon you know it's not a sprint and uh, I think that's the that's the hard part for these guys what's one breakfast food you couldn't live without well, see, now that I've changed my diet, Greek, Greek yogurt is the one breakfast food that I, I couldn't live without. I eat Greek yogurt every day for breakfast. Okay. And what's your relationship with Zion Williamson like? <laughs> you know what? Um, I, I, Zion is a terrific young man and obviously extremely talented, but it, just as talented as he is, he, he's humble. He's very approachable. He was always very approachable to other students around campus. Um, but one highlight, we've got a young man in our program, Oliver McCarthy, who's a left-handed pitcher. We bring all our guys in for summer school prior to the start of their freshman year. And the basketball freshmen were there too. And he has the unique claim to fame that he was in a dunk contest with Zion Williamson in Cameron. You know, and, and, and Ollie's a really good athlete. He had some really good dunks. But obviously, as you can imagine, he lost that, that dunk yeah. contest. Yeah. I, I feel like, yeah, Zion's – that's a tough one to go against for sure. <laughs> All right, so we'll have a couple more of those towards the end of the podcast. But back to some of the more conventional questions. You know, obviously these past few months have been rough for anyone involved with sports and everyone in general due to COVID-19 and the quarantine. But personally for you, what's been the toughest part about dealing with this situation? And how have you been able to stay positive with your team and family? Yeah, I think the biggest uh, – um, the biggest difficulty that we've had is just the uncertainty, right? Um, you know, and trying to manage that because th there's various levels of uncertainty. We've got guys worried about the draft, right? We've got a, a, a coronavirus shortened draft. And so those guys have a lot of anxiety about their futures. And, and, and we've got younger guys that, you know, because of the roster implications with everybody getting an extra year of time back that, that, that now are worried about where they stand and, and then you've got our incoming guys, you know, and, and they're worried about, okay, what does this mean for me? So, you know, dealing with the uncertainty and, and trying to manage that piece along with, you know, we have some clarity now, but for so much of quarantine, 
what's going to happen with uh, collegiate summer baseball, what's going to happen with next fall, are we going to be able to return to campus on time? So these were all real concerns that our players and their families shared, and even our staff. And heck, I, I was concerned, uh, and you know, and certainly there's still some unknowns. But I think just as I've heard it expressed a lot, we have in our sport, we have such a defined like finish line that we're constantly working towards an end goal, right? Whether it's the start of the season or the postseason, or we're working towards uh, summer ball. This, this has been particularly challenging because we don't have a finish line, right? Everybody's told to be training and staying ready and, and we just don't know when, when, when and where the finish line is. So that's been tough. And we can only imagine it's even tougher for you guys coming off, you know, back-to-back super regional appearances and this year starting off 12 and four with, you know, lots of momentum moving forward. But where do you guys go from here and what kind of things are you guys doing as a program now to continue to develop and get better despite, you know, everything that's going on in the world? Sure. No, I, well, it, that was a particularly, you know, that was the reason that this situation was particularly difficult because we had gone to -to back-to-back supers and there was a lot of expectation for this team. And this team, probably more so than any other team I've ever coached, just had a feeling of unfinished business. As, as great as it is to say you went to two Super Regionals, it's equally as difficult to say that you got within one game of the College World Series two years in a row right. and finished the deal. So there, there was a lot of hunger with this group to sort of take that next step and finish it. And that's why it was so painful when this season stopped because, you know, we had a pretty veteran team. So a lot of guys had been through at least one, if not both of those postseason runs over the last couple of years. And this had been such a focused group all through the, the fall and the preseason, you know, with, with that goal in mind. But as I remind folks all the time, there's, there's, there's still a lot to be excited about and there's still a lot of positive momentum around our program. You know, uh, I, I think even with the expected losses to the Major League Baseball draft with Jarvis as a possible first rounder, and I j- just got off the phone with Mike Rothenberg before I talked to you guys, a guy that we hope is going to go in the top three or four rounds. Um, you know, we've got three – of our players that just finished their sophomore year, who'll be back next year, who all ranked among the top 100 players in college baseball. Um, We have uh, two Gatorade State Player of the Years coming in in this year's 2020 recruiting class. Uh, We return a lot of pitching. We return a lot of guys uh, that that had a big impact on us positionally. So I I think the future is still really bright for this team. Uh, I think the earliest uh, 2021 poll came out a few weeks ago baseball america sort of forecasted their preseason poll for 2021 it had us ranked number 14 in the country so i don't want our guys to lose sight of the fact that we haven't we haven't lost that momentum we're we're, we're still really damn good and right and we need to keep preparing because there's going to be baseball again in our future mm-hmm. our athletics director at kevin white uh, at, at duke who's I, the best in the country he, he said it so John. well back seven or eight weeks ago, you guys, he said, listen, it, it's time to switch from defense to offense. You know, the first three or four weeks of quarantine, everybody felt like they were just reactionary, right? We were just waiting for the next round of bad news. Since that point, you know, we've really tried to take that advice to heart and, and really switch to a focus on, okay, what's coming up ahead? 
we do weekly communication with our guys on a, on a, on a bunch of different levels. We, we have a weekly team call where we have all of our coaching staff, our support staff, and our, and our team members. We have uh, positional calls, breakouts, where we'll have just the infielders, just the hitters, just the pitchers. And then we have a lot of individual contact with our guys. But, you know, in, in some of those calls, we've really made it a point to bring in leaders in our game so that we can continue to learn while we're in quarantine. You know, we've had Mike Schilt, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals, come on and spend time with, with our guys. Yesterday, we had Andy Haynes, who's the hitting coach for the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, sit in for an hour and a half with our hitters. It was unbelievable just to, just to talk hitting with him for an hour and a half. Uh, Derek Johnson, who's a pitching coach with the Cincinnati Reds, used to be at Vanderbilt, is going to be on with our pitchers later this week. Um, we've had mindset coaches. We've had some of our former players who are now in uh, Major League Baseball come on calls with us. So we've really just taken an opportunity, every chance we get, to keep learning. And even though we're not together practicing on the field, we still feel like we're training and getting ready and, and, and taking opportunities to be as prepared as we can possibly be. One of my ACC counterparts, who also happens to be a good friend, said it best. He said, you know, somebody's going to win quarantine. Somebody's going to win this time. And, and I've really tried to accept that challenge with our program and say, okay, what can we do to get better? Yeah, that's funny you say that. Like, that's something we heard a couple of weeks ago from Babson's head coach, uh, Matt Noon. He said, you know, in quarantine, there, there's going to be winners and there's going to be losers. So, you know, after, you know, this time's over, we're, we're really going to see, you know, who's spent that time the best way possible. So I think, you know, that's a great mindset that both your programs have for sure. Without question. I mean, you know, I, I just, I think that anytime you have self-pity, and, and that's what generally derails you at times like this, right? When you start to, right. you start to feel sorry for yourself and, and the situation that you're in, almost invariably it comes from a loss of gratitude. And, and so one of the things that we spend a lot of time with our guys on is just being really conscious of practicing that gratitude and re remembering to be grateful for the opportunities that you have. You're still at one of the world's best universities. You're still playing baseball in the ACC, and there's going to be a season around the corner. So rather than sit around and think about what could have been, let's get focused on what's in front of us. Yo, I think your mic's muted, buddy. All right. Are we good? Yeah, you're good. Yep. Okay. <laughs> great. This has been great for me. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, but coach, you talked about it um, kind of to your point about you guys, you know, you know, you're not just bad all of a sudden, like you guys are still a good team. Um, so kind of, looking back to the beginning, like your start at Duke, you know, we, we take research really seriously here. So I took to Wikipedia. Um, so you guys had six consecutive 30 plus uh, win seasons, um, you know, and like I said, Ben mentioned that that's kind of coming to a fruition with the back-to-back -back, uh, super regional appearances, but um, you might've touched on it a bit. You know, you said you have a good group of guys, veteran guys who have been around, but you know, around 2016, uh, it looks like things started to click a little bit. Uh, that was your first NCAA regional appearance and, and maybe a little better conference record than you might have seen in those past years. Um, but when did you personally start to feel like things were kind of clicking and, and, and coming together to get the program to like this elite level? So I guess it, 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 it is kind of a, a couple of a layers to the answer to your question. When I interviewed for the position at Duke and I took a hard look at the roster prior to coming in on the interview, I thought it would take five years 
to, to get the program in a position where we could legitimately compete for the NCAA tournament. I, I, I always believed that Duke was a team, even, even at previous coaching stops that I've been at, I always believed that Duke was a team that could compete for NCAA regional bursts year in and year out. You know, when I looked at our roster, I said, man, it's probably a five-year process to get to that point. But when I got to Duke and I spent time with our current roster in that first year, 2012-2013, I was so impressed by the buy-in and, and how hungry that group was to be successful that I, I really believed that we had a, a, a maybe a shorter timeline to get to where we wanted to be. And yeah. we, we were close in 2014. We, we came up probably two or three wins short of a regional berth in 2014 with really the same roster that we'd had the previous year. But that said, um, you know, I, I think when we went through two or three cycles of recruiting and realized, man, you know, we, we should, this program should be a top 30 recruiting class kind of program year in and year out. Sure. We felt like that, you know, within a few years we would be there. Uh, 2016, we snuck in and, you know, we, we, we kind of broke through that glass ceiling. It had been 55 sure. years since Duke had been to the NCAA tournament. And, and then the next year, we were, we were really young on the mound. And, and, we you know, we came up probably two or three wins short. But we knew we were still pretty good. And mm -hmm. we had a really good team coming back in 18. Um, I, I'm, I'll be honest with you guys. I'm probably most proud of our 2019 squad. Because, you know, 2018 was sort of the – sort of the culmination of all the work that had gone in over the previous five years. And sure. we, were, we were veteran, we were deep, we were talented, you know, but w we lost a lot of those guys off that 18 squad. We had seven guys drafted. We had some really good seniors that, that moved on. And, you know, we were, we were pretty young and pretty inexperienced in 19. And a lot of people forget we got off to a horrendous start. You know, we were three and nine in the ACC at the end of March in 2019 and we had to scratch and claw our way back into it we were one of the last four teams to get into the field of 64 in 2019 um, but that team never quit on themselves and that that's when I learned a lot about just kind of what it means to have a, a really strong culture because we, mm -hmm. we really were able to survive 2019 and and get back into the postseason because of the strength of our culture sure that was one of the first things I thought uh when you started talking about that, uh, you know, your first class, like the buy-in, that's like a huge foundation. So to have that, you know, coming in and just that's transferred, you know, through the years. So for sure, I can, you just saying that I kind of got an idea of, you know, where you were going, that's where it all starts. So that's cool. Yeah. You know, you don't always get that when you for get sure. a new place, right? Sometimes it, you have to get your quote unquote, your own guys in before you get that kind of buy-in. But we had a hungry group of guys who were really wanted to see things turn around quickly and, and they gave us buy-in right away. And that, and that sped up the timeline for, you know, getting this program where it is now. Sure. And another reason why your program success is probably even more impressive is the fact that it seems like recruiting could be tricky at times in your situation with Duke's academic standards. Uh, just a quick story, but my brother, he played at UNF. Um, he finished up in 2012. So this was before your time at Duke. But during his junior year summer of high school, he went to a baseball camp at Duke. And according to my brother, it seemed like Duke had a lot of interest in him. But one of the coaches came up to him one day and 
asked him, you know, what are your SAT scores? And he told him the scores. I'm not going to disclose those uh, scores, that information, but uh, I'll just say that no Duke coaches talked to him after that particular conversation. So, you know, I'm pretty sure this isn't a scenario that's unfamiliar fit territory for you. So, you know, how does your program kind of overcome those potential challenges and still compete against some of the best programs in the country? It is a challenge, you know, and, and the, the one thing that I've always felt, no matter where you are, you, you have to kind of take your, your challenge or, or, or whatever your disadvantage is and try to turn it into your advantage. Right. So right. when I was at Appalachian, uh, and when I first got to Appalachian, everybody said you can never win at Appalachian State because it's a cold weather school and it's a football school, right? So we 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 tried to turn that immediately to our advantage and say, okay, we're going to be the best cold weather team in the Southeast, and we're going to use the the success of football to try to help catapult our our program into a greater visibility. So I think it's the same thing at Duke, right? Well, the reason that Duke is Duke is because it's really hard to get into, right? right. You know, it's, uh, it's such a competitive university. I mean, last year, you guys, our acceptance rate was 6%. Wow. Over 40,000 applications for 1,500 spots in our freshman class. Wow. And, um, you know, we, we've got we, to use that to our advantage in that, hey, this is you, you've got an opportunity not only to play baseball in the ACC, but you've got an opportunity to get a Duke degree. Yeah, and, and for some guys, that's a that's a really appealing combination. Um, so this is kind of a broad uh, question. Uh, it's tough because we want to hear you know we want to hear every detail about your coaching career, um, but this isn't the last dance, and we don't have ten episodes to cover your story. Um, but specifically talking about your ability to build a program, you know, you get to Appalachian State in 05. Uh, first season, you win 10 games. Your last season, you know, you win 41 games and make it to regionals. Um, so, like we talked about before, not as big of a jump uh, at Duke, you know, winning 26 games your first year. But I guess my question is, what's the secret? You know, is, is it a secret or, or maybe like one or two key components, you know, that go into constructing a successful program? Well, I one, it, it, it's, I, I think, knowing your customers, right? So knowing who, who out there is the right fit for your program in the recruiting process is, is really key. You know, I, I've been blessed because Appalachian was a great school, and we had a lot of kids that were, were really excited about the possibility of coming to Appalachian, and obviously Duke at a whole other level from that, right? Uh, you right. know, the opportunity to, to be at Duke and pursue a Duke degree and play in the ACC. Uh, it's a pretty easy sell. The formula, you guys, you, is, you know, great staff. Uh, and I've been really blessed. Uh, you know, I've worked with Josh Jordan, who is our associate head coach now for 13 years. And we have a, a tremendous chemistry, and he is just a tireless worker. And, uh, you know, we've got right now, in my opinion, the, the, the best staff in the country. And I know for a fact the best staff that I've ever worked with Jason Steen, our hitting coach, uh, Dusty Blake, our pitching coach, and then Chris Gordon is, is kind of the glue that holds it all together as our, um, as our director of operations. Um, Shout out to them. I, absolutely. I, yeah. I think that as a staff, you have to be willing to be lifelong learners, so you got to adapt. We do things really differently than we did 10 years ago. 
Uh, we even do things really different than we did them five years ago with how technology has, has seeped into our sport. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then at the end of the day, it's, you, there's no shortcut for hard work. You've got you to be willing to out-hustle people and have been blessed to, to work with a group of coaches and, and have players that really embrace that work ethic. Yeah, so the last question we have for you before we finish up with rapid fire, but let's talk about your playing career real quick. We've touched on it briefly at the top, but you had an awesome career at Davidson and played a few years at the indie ball level. But do you have any good stories about some of your favorite or funniest moments during those times in your life? Hmm. Yeah, some of them I can't tell on a podcast. So <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> might get me fired uh, or in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Uh, no, it, it was an amazing experience to play at Davidson. Um, you know, one, I, I'm still re really close friends with my uh, former coach, Dick Cook, who coached there for 30 years and now is an, an associate athletics director there, uh, all-time winning as coach in Davidson history. Had great teammates, met my wife there. So the experience of being at Davidson, you know, ch changed the course of my life. You know, the coolest experience probably was in, in 1994 as a sophomore, we went down and played at Georgia Tech, and they had a historically good team. And uh, they had Jason Veritek and Omar Garcia-Para and Jay Payton were, were one, three, and four in that lineup. So Garcia-Para was a leadoff. Uh, Jason Veritek batted in the three-hole. And, and Jay Payton was hitting in the four-hole for them. So you're talking about between those three guys, probably what, uh, over 50 years in the big leagues, right? right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we went down and 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 knocked them off on a on a on a midweek game on a Wednesday night in Atlanta, six to four, and uh, that's a, That's an experience I'll never yeah. forget. Mm. Uh, but we, we, you know, we, you guys lived it. You played. You know, you it, it's as you get older. Like when we get back together. As a, as a group, when I see my, my former teammates, we're back at a reunion or back on campus, you don't talk about the wins and losses. You, don't, you, you talk about the funny stuff that happened away from the field, the crazy stuff that went on in the hotel and on the road, and you know, those kind of memories, um, that those are the type of things that you remember about your experience and your time. And that just goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This is about relationships. All right, Coach. Well, this has been awesome so far, and I know you have to run, um, so, you know, you can blame it on me. You know, if you're late, it's definitely my fault. We'll, I'll take the heat, uh, but we're just going to wrap up uh, last round of rapid fire, similar to the top of the show, except yours truly uh, is going to be rattling them, rattling them off for you. Um, so if you got a good story, obviously, you know, share, but uh, you ready to get going? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So what's the most important quality in a ball player you're looking for when recruiting? Mental toughness. It's a pretty good one. What's one thing you'd change about college baseball? I'd shift the season back a little later so we don't play so many cold weather games. You're my guy. Um, what, what's your favorite baseball movie of all time, and why is it Bull Durham? <laughs> I have to say Bull Durham, right? <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't know if that would work, but, yeah, no, for sure. It's, you can't yeah. go wrong with that. No, but it, it is Bull Durham, and just, uh, you know, for it's got so many moments in it that are just iconic. People sleep on that movie. I, I've been trying to get the word out there, Coach. I'm surprised. You know what? When we have recruits nowadays, uh, we'll show them around Durham, and, and the old ballpark that the movie was filmed in is, mm -hmm. is just a, a couple of miles from campus. Wow. And um, 
you know, their parents have always seen the movie, but most, most recruits nowadays, they're too young. They haven't even seen Bull Durham. They don't even know what it is. I'll bring it up and they don't even, they don't even know what I'm talking about. You can't, you hit the bull. You can't throw any of those. You can't throw any of those quotes out. That's, exactly. t- that's a tough life. Um, all right. So what's the best part about being the head coach at Duke university? Ah, man, that's, a, that's a great question. Uh, you. you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's a multi-part answer. It's, it's, it's working at one of the world's best universities. It's, it's getting to coach against uh, some legendary coaches in the ACC. Durham is a great place to raise a family. So it's the whole package in, 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 in one, one job. So I guess a little bit on the, maybe not the flip side of Duke, but just baseball in general, what's your least favorite part about baseball? Rain delays. Very coach answer. If I had to, if I would have put money down, it probably would have been on that one. Um, okay. Um, so out of us three podcasters, who do you think would be the best coach? And as a side note, Jacob Schuber uh, coaches at USC Lancaster. So he's really good at making coffee. But other than that, you know, we don't want to give too much away. But he is a coach already. But out of us three. Well, I was going to say, Shubes is already in the profession. So he's got a leg up on you guys. What about, what about raw talent, coach? Like, what about raw <laughs> potential? Ben seems like he could be a really good recruiter. Oh, okay. And I'm showing up late to the podcast, so right, I guess yeah. I don't really have much room to talk. You're late. Your, your mic's on mute. I, I'm not tired <laughs> uh, It's all right. First impressions are everything. Maybe I'll make it up one day. <laughs> all right. So last, last rapid fire question. Uh, not sure if you've seen this before, but what's up with your Wikipedia picture? Oh, I don't, I don't even, I've never been to my, I didn't even know okay. I Wikipedia. Well, uh, Ben, do you have it by chance? Yeah, yeah I got a picture. Do uh, you see that? Oh my, that's good. That's a good. <laughs> yeah, it looks like we just gave up a five spot in the. In the <laughs> oh, you know? see, you saw the anger. I saw the awesome facial hair. That's immediately. That's all I could see. Yeah, that's 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 me saying that we don't have a a good bullpen arm to run in in this situation. <laughs> oh, I, that's actually impressive. You you can feel the emotion through the picture there. Yeah, I feel like we we can definitely get that fixed though. We'll we'll get our we'll, research. Our people will reach that. out. It's cool. To, I didn't know that. I have to I have to check it out. I hope it doesn't say anything uh, uh, too too offensive about me. No, definitely not. I think we the, checked the, it. The picture is the most offensive part for sure. <laughs> I can live with that. Yeah. All right. Um. So you, you said you had that other interview at seven. Do we have any time for like one more question? Or yeah, absolutely. I got a, I got another minute here. My phone's gonna ring at seven. Okay. Perfect. Um. So just quick last question I have. You know, just shifting gears a little bit. You know, we're getting towards the end of the podcast now, but one component that's changing in baseball in general um, that might have an outside impact on college baseball is, you know, major league baseball going to that shorter draft and minor league rosters taking a hit recently. Yeah. Um, now, you know, not, not everyone is like your own very, you know, Bryce Jarvis, he's projected to go in the first or second round of this year's draft. So obviously this is going to have a significant impact on thousands of ballplayers out there. So, I mean, personally for you, what's your take on this change and how does it impact your program and college baseball overall? Yeah, this one's tough, right? I know that's a big question to end the podcast. And no, I, I get it, man. And it's an yeah. important question because I, I have mixed feelings. I really do. In the short term, it creates a a a, a bud uh, um, a roster crunch, which has budget implications, which has opportunity implications. Um, you know, I, I of all of the players out there that I worry about with this shortened draft. I worry about the uncommitted 2021 and 2022 graduates, right? And what's going to happen to those guys? And are there going to be opportunities there for, for those guys? 
And, you know, I, I worry about uh, the minor leaguers that are out there that, you know, that, that uh, are, are losing opportunities to chase their dreams. I, I worry about the small towns out there that, uh, that, you know, minor league baseball is key to driving the economy in the summertime, you know, right. just, uh, you know, to have a, have a minor league team there during the summer and what it does for city morale and to drive the economy. So I worry about that. I would tell you guys on the flip side, in the long term, this is going to mean more good players at the college level, right? The, our, our sport is going to become better in terms of the product that's on the field because less guys are going to be making the move to professional baseball straight out of high school. So it should trickle down, not just to the, not, not just an impact in, at the Division One level, but this should be a, a win for Division Two and Division Three baseball. And and one of the things that guys have to realize, and you guys know this, um, there's really good college baseball played at all levels. I I I, I tell people there there are plenty of Division Two and Division Three programs that I would never put on our schedule at Duke. I don't want any part of those guys because I know how the talented those rosters are. So I'm hoping that this situation will shine a light on Division II and Division III baseball and junior college opportunities that exist out there so guys will pursue the right fit for them and not get hung up on, uh, you know, I want to play at the Power Five level. So, Coach, I mean, thank you for coming on the podcast. We really appreciate your time. And, you know, we're wishing – we'll be following you guys and we'll be wishing the best of luck for, you know, everything for Duke baseball going forward. Sounds great. Let me know when you want Coach K to come on. Okay, yeah, perfect. <laughs> that, we can do that. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks Coach. Coach. Okay, so Ben talked about it at the top of the show. Um, we're getting to that point where, you know, some things are bigger than sports. So uh, it's important. And, and we discussed kind of, you know, beforehand. Um, and it didn't really take much convincing. But something we got to talk about, obviously, um, the issue surrounding George Floyd, um, more, more specifically, you know, every, everything that that um, has come from it, kind of the movement that is going on, um, just the, the climate of America right now. I think it's, uh, you know, it's important that we talk about it. And, uh, and I think I'll, I'll just get started. And I mean, when I'm done, you guys add obviously, but that's part of it, right? Something I've been the the first the first thing I think I felt was, you know, what can we do? Um, like, what can I do? Like something we have to do something, whatever. Like, ne never have I felt more, you know, driven to action. I guess than than now. Um, and not that I'm unique in that sense, but one of the things I'm seeing everywhere um, is, you know, people. You know, I guess I'll speak for myself, just being a white, you know, white guy with a podcast, like using your platform, uh, whatever that may be, big, small, um, conversations with your friends, uh, conversations with your family. I know my shout out family, actually shout out my dad complained. I never shot him out. So shout out to my family. We had a real good talk. Um, you know, just a couple nights ago about everything going on, uh, Sunday night, this is Tuesday, Sunday night, you know, we're just, we're talking about everything. So, and, and that's one of the biggest things, you know, outside of the, outside of the petitions and, and, and donating and, and like the, the tangible things you can do there, there's, there's gotta be more, right. And it's with the conversations, it's with talking about these things and, and using our platform. And, and, you know, Ben makes a joke about it, but you know, 500 follower podcast. So, you know, what, what can we do? I think is something that, um, 
maybe holds a lot of people up. Um, and you know, I don't care if 10 people listen to this or a hundred, uh, you know, the fact that the message gets out is important. Um, speaking out about these different things. Um, we just need to draw awareness to it. It's our job to use the platform. Stuff's wrong. You know, we, we got to call attention to it. I'm not going to pretend to know the answers, but you know, some things I'm seeing are, you know, just educating yourself, uh, learning more about the situation before you, you know, you jump to conclusions. And I mean, the bottom line is the root issue is an innocent man was killed. I think that is the, that is the root issue. If you cut out all the other bullshit, an innocent man was killed. And I think to be focused on anything else right now is, is kind of crazy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like, I'm embarrassed personally, I guess, to that it had come to something like this for, for the world, I guess, to wake up. And I'm not trying to exclude myself from that. Like, I definitely haven't been doing enough personally. Um, but I mean, I don't, I, I guess I don't want to be preaching on you guys. And I want you guys, Ben and Shub, I want you guys to have a chance to, to talk for sure. But I guess my thing is we would have been remiss to not talk about it. And uh, I guess all I'm saying is it's just fundamentally wrong what happens. Uh, if you disagree, I mean, so don't listen to my, don't listen to our podcast anymore. Pers- that's the, my personal stance on it. Um, but you know, it's more than that. It's more than just agreeing that it was wrong. You know, you gotta, you gotta have these conversations. You gotta talk about, you know, what was wrong, educate yourself, you know, figure out why it's wrong. Not just cause someone's telling you, you know, that's a dangerous road to go down, figure out why it's wrong. Cause it is wrong. Figure out why and what can you do to change it and, and go do that. That's, that's what it is. I saw, and I guess to my note about, you know, I definitely haven't done, I definitely haven't done everything, you know, I could have in my life, but one of the biggest things, and, and I guess, you know, I've been taught this, the biggest thing, an apology to a friend, which a lot of people I consider out there who, you know, people of color who are my friends, who I feel like I've maybe failed or, or not lived up to what I should be is it's an apology and a promise to do something different. And to not fail on that promise. Um, so I guess I can, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I'm not, I mean, I'm sure we all feel the same. I mean, I know personally, you know, I'm taking this as a wake up call of, you know, even what I was doing before isn't enough, you know, I need this serious. Um, so it needs to be a change. And, and that's part of the, and not just myself, like the, the national apology for what has been going on is, acknowledging that it has been wrong saying you're going to be different and being different. Um, so I guess that's just, if I have to sign off on something, it's, it's gotta be that it's, it's, uh, it's more than acknowledging that it's wrong. Um, it's doing the, it's doing the little things that, I mean, people have been telling you forever to, to do, to pay attention to, you know, activists and everything like this, if this doesn't open your eyes, I don't know what does. So we got to be better. We got to change how we're acting. We got to vote. We got to vote. I'm not gonna tell you how to vote, but to, to talk about politics and not vote is, is asinine and, and it's not to steal stuff from, you know, uh, you know, whatever part of my take had Arian Foster on 
And, and uh, one of the things uh, PFT said was, you know, how can I as a sports podcaster have you guys on like athletes on my show and not also be like concerned about what you're concerned about. Uh, and and that's something that, and I guess like none of this is new. Like, I think it's just awakening things like in people, uh, that maybe were not there before or, or maybe weren't as obvious. Um, you know, like he's absolutely right. Like how can I, and not even just, you know, this by a guess by guess basis, but to support like to do a sports podcast where such of the, the culture of sports is, is so intertwined with the African-American community, like to, to ignore something like this and to not do everything I can to help. Um, it's just not, we can't do it anymore. Um, so I guess, I'll get off my soapbox, but long and short, um, you know, an apology comes with two steps, three steps, I guess, apologizing, uh, acknowledging where you came up short and promising to do different. Um, so I hope anybody listening to this can kind of resonate with that. And, uh, you know, we got to be better. So, I mean, first of all, for me personally, this is all just so sad. Like on so many different levels. Like just first of all, George Floyd, that's one of the worst videos I've ever watched personally. It's just appalling. Uh, it was out of control. It could have been avoided so easily. Just everything was just, it's you know, very painful to watch. And, you know, I mean, I can't even talk about, um, you know, reform and all that. I just, I just want to say I feel and terrible for the Floyd family, the black community, everyone involved with what happened is just, it's, it's heartbreaking. And this happens six years after I can't breathe and Eric Gardner and that whole situation. And here we are again. And another, I mean, just so sad on different levels because like, it sucks that it takes something like this to get the conversation going again. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the protests and everything we're doing now is at a different level than we've ever seen it. Um, and that's great that we're getting the awareness out and people are starting to take action and get better, but it's, it does suck that it takes something like this to, you know, get that ball going again. And hopefully it's not something where, you know, six months from now, everyone's forgotten about this and, you know, we're not still taking action. Cause I think it's something that we can educate ourselves every day on. We can always, mm-hmm. we can get better every day on. This yeah. isn't a fight against, you know, white and black. You know, I've seen this everywhere. It's a fight against racism. And that's something that we all need to get better with. Yeah. And, and to, and just to get on that, just real quick, that was another point brought up in, in the part of my take interview, interview Aaron Foster, you know, he, he just was very blunt about it. It, it a week of protests and, and like a couple hashtags or whatever, it's not going to fix it. It's a, it's a long game we're playing to fix this stuff. So it, and that's been, I, you know, to your point, like it's been X years since that happened and, and things kind of die out. They have it. It's the Nate, it's like kind of the nature of, of the world right now. It's like always what's next. And, and this is something that can't be um, put on the back burner uh, anymore, you know? So uh, I hear you. I, it's something that's gotta be, it's prolonged. It's going to, it's going to take time. It's going to be hard. Um, you know, we all just have to continuously do our part, um, to make sure this doesn't fall 
so something like this doesn't need to happen again to talk about it. We need to keep talking about it and keep talking about it until it's fixed. Yeah, and you know, Ben Gill, I don't even know how to follow up after you know year two, after you two speak like that. Like, you guys made so many great points, and you know, a lot of points that I had down. And you know, it. I'm alluding to what Ben said. You know, it, it is sad. Like, it is very sad. This is 2020. Like, and this shit's still happening. Like, you know, we should, as a human race, we need to be better than this. You know, and you know, I gave. Kudos to Jalen Brown and Malcolm Brogdon. You know they're out there voicing. You know they're they're leading a you know a nonviolent protest, a peaceful protest, and you know unfortunately that's being you know overrun by the violent you know riots and stuff. And that's where the issue I think you know comes in with all this because they're out here trying to make a change, and other people are are destroying them trying to make a change. You know, and like Gil, you alluded to you know voting. You you know voting is how you make a change. You you get the people, the people in office that will, you know, will make this change. And I mean, we have to be better. Like I said, we have to be better as a human race and we just have, we just, I mean, we just have to be better. I don't know yeah. what else to say. We just have to be better. You got to educate yourself. You got to educate others and, and there's a right way to do it. You know, you, you, it's just the common, you know, it's like I said at the beginning of my thing, like an innocent guy got murdered. Like, that's the problem. Like, we need to fix that. Like, you know what I mean? So, I mean, not not to simplify it. It's not that easy. But but at its core, it is, you know? Like, it is. And that's the problem is, is like, it's not looked at as this guy just got killed. Like, that's not just the hands down, like, yeah, that's wrong. Like, we're, like the fact that we're even having to do this, like, segment. Like, we need to do it. It needs to be talked about. But, like, Ben, I like this, I think, is, like, the heart of your point is like we're still here talking about it yeah and and it's like there's a sadness it's like you said ben like it's it's a sadness it's a deep sadness that i've felt since everything has been going on and 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 i don't know i i don't think that that's a unique feeling to me by any means but i i feel like something that can help kind of work out of that is like this action it's it's you know, and I've talked to people like there's this, just this sadness, this heavy heart. And, and how do you fix that other than it may like, maybe this is just me, but how do you fix that other than taking action against what is weighing on you? you, you know? So, so to be sad or to think like, Oh, I agree. Like this is wrong and all this stuff. And then to not do anything about it, it doesn't work. That's not how it works. Nothing's going to get fixed that way. Um, so I don't know, man, I don't know the answers. I'm going to keep listening to people who might have the answers or can help me at least on my way. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to do everything I can. I know you guys are the same, you know, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are the same. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, I'm not, I'm not breaking news to anybody. Um, but again, just my biggest point is, is, this is important stuff and, and to have even the small platform we do, I guess is like, and I think we all share this feeling out of us hosts or well in reoccurring guests is like, it, it's almost our duty to, to, to do this. Like who, who, how, how could I come on next week and do another show having not talked about this at all? Um, I couldn't. So um, I think this is important. Um, this is how it starts. I think. It's just these kind of conversations. 
I guess one more thing I'll say, I mean, we could talk about this for a long time, I think. So I'm not sure we, we went into this prepared to, you know, talk and obviously had points and stuff, but we really didn't have you know too much structure. We didn't plan out like usually questions. We plan out every point, every specific thing. We're very calculated, but this, you know, there's so many different areas I can go. I guess the one point I do want to make is I hope we can be, more open-minded. I hope that, you know, there, there's so much division in our country, uh, Republicans, Democrats, um, just politics that it, it, it makes it even more sad that we can't agree on something as simple as racism and trying to end racism. And it seems like every small thing, there has to be a fight. Um, I saw people earlier online arguing about this black square. I know like a black square on Instagram is not going to, solve every problem in the world but the thing that i did um you know appreciate about the efforts in doing that is that it it represented unity that you know we're all together together we're all against the fight against racism and at that point of time instead of you know promoting you know whatever you have going on in your life you know pictures or your stories or um, you know or whatever you going got going on in your life you you're showing that this black square that this fight is more important than that and you know prioritizing that so that's something that even though obviously just posting a black square and going about your day and not thinking about what's going on is obviously you know that's not what i'm saying like it doesn't solve everything but i guess i i thought it was good that we had something to unite us a little bit and i hope that we can get more unity in so many different ways because there's so many things that are tearing us apart you know the media leadership um you know, it's just, I feel like we need more unity. It's sad, man. I think, you know, like I said, we we don't want to, we don't want to, we could talk forever. Um, I think everybody has said their piece. Um, and I guess the one thing, you know, I'll, I'll just try and wrap it up here, Ben, so we can just close off. But um, I guess that's like the biggest thing. I think we've all, I think everyone here has given points, I guess, takeaways. I don't know what you want to call it, but it can't stop here. Um, it can't, it's not, you know, I know I'm personally, I'm not like, and I know they're not, it's not just, you know, let's hop on the podcast, talk about it and be done with it. Like this, this shit is, it's bothersome. This shit is eating at me. Uh, it's eating at us. So, um, you know, and I, I hope it's eating at everyone. Like Ben said, this is something that should be racism. It should, the fact that it's not unifying on its own is frustrating. It, it's frustrating. frustrating. And and I guess just a culmination of everything we said, it is frustrating. It is, it's awful. It's, it's, you know, for some people it's, it's so hard because it's like, how can you even, you know, I'm thinking it right now, how can it even be, you know, a thing, whatever, but it's, it's still that it's a long game. It's, it's small victories. It's talking about this stuff, educating people, you know, educating those under you, younger generations, you know, it's crazy to even say that because we're f-ing, young ourselves but but that's where it all starts so it's just having the conversations being different um you know it obviously hasn't been working so how are we going to be different how are you gonna how are you going to use your voice your action your life to to affect change really is what the question's got to be um and so i don't know the answers there's a lot of smart people out there that do that i'm listening to um so or, or at least can get me on the right path. I don't know if anyone really has the real answer, but 
better than doing nothing is what I'm saying. So let's just, we got to do it. It's got to start now. I guess the last point I have, I'm sorry, Shub, do you have anything else you want to add? Yeah. I think my last point, man, it's just, you know, Joe Burrow said on Twitter, you know, I'm kind of going off what he's saying. Like, I'm, I'm with him with this, you know, black community needs to be heard. You know, you said six years ago, the I can't breathe thing uh, that happened. You know, we didn't listen this time. We need to listen. Like they're trying to be heard and we need to listen this time. And this is, if we, you know, when we do listen, it'll be the start of change. And hopefully going forward, we won't see shit like this happen again. Cause it's like you said, Ben, it's sad. It's, just, it's, it's terrifying to see. So last point I have, because we haven't really touched on the protesters and I think that's one of the more touchy points. So I'm not going to have you know, any crazy hot takes or something I feel like is the best way to protest or whatever. But I will say that we need to, we need to stop generalizing because there's a lot of different kinds of protests that are going on in our country. There's peaceful protests that are going on. You know, LeBron James tweeted out a couple ones are like, you know, the media's not shown this on their platforms. Like, look how beautiful this is. And he, you know, he's right that, you know, those need more coverage. And then there's protests that are not protests. They're just looting. They're just destruction. And when people say, you know, f- all protesters or whatever, this is what we should be doing. Yeah. I think you mean f- the looters, like f- the people that mm-hmm. are, you know, dressed up and opportunists taking advantage of, you know, what's going on because, you know, those people are not protesters. They're not fighting against racism. They're being selfish and taking sure. opportunity. So, I mean, that's just something I wanted to say. And then, obviously, mm-hmm. you got those two extremes, and then you got people in the middle. You got people that are maybe peaceful protesters that are stretching the line, and then you have maybe protesters that are going over the line. But, you know, there's protesters. They're, they're people. You know, we have assholes in this country. We have really good people in this country. It's a variety. So, I think we need to stop generalizing what's going on with the protests. We need to acknowledge that there's some really good people doing some really good things. And there's some really good, really bad people doing bad things. And we kind of need to find the medium ground. That's um, not going to be destructive, but at the same point, it's going to be, you know, more productive than maybe some of the peaceful protests that aren't quite, you know, reaching and, you know, peaceful protests that we've done in the past that haven't, you know, caused change. So there's, there's no right answer for that. I, I know that. So, um, but, but yeah, it's something that I just wanted to, cause we didn't address the protest. No, so that's yeah, something I wanted to talk absolutely. About. Well, I'm glad you did. I was kind of, you know, is I'm glad you did. I, I agree with you, man. I mean, it's just like, it's, it's kind of like you, you just said it pretty well. Like you can't, you have to be able to separate the two, like the, the looting or, or whatever, I guess you can feel how you feel about that. But I mean, there's so many other points like what, I mean, like, it's like you said, so there's the the point of like, what else are people supposed to do? But even past that, like even past the fact that the looting is happening to, to see that and then automatically discredit the, the message of what is being, it, it, that's, you can't do that. You cannot do that. It's what is it? It's like, Oh, I agree with what you're saying, but not how you're doing it. Like that doesn't fly, especially for something we've been dealing with. Ben, Ben, to your point about the can't breathe six years ago, the fact that it's six years to now is too long. And it's been way longer than that Yeah, Yeah. since the beginning of the country. 
it's been going on and we're talking about how six years is is a problem so to to be like oh i don't agree with how you're doing it like and so like just discrediting the whole thing like you just you can't do that you have to separate the two it's it's true for two things to be right at once i guess like the looting is bad and the protests are good and they can both be happening at the same time and there's so many powerful videos going out there and you know a powerful image that's coming to my head is you know you've seen all these black screens or, or black squares and there, there's a couple black squares that have uh just full of names of, of of black people that you know this has happened to um the past you know how too many years so that's something that's uh, stood out to me as very powerful it's something that needs to change obviously just <laughs> names are full of this fucking screen is you know it's bull and you can't just see a video like this and say, oh, this happened. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. And, you know, f- that like there, the change needs to happen. Uh, obviously, I don't know if we've given too many answers because, you know, it's, it's a tough issue. But uh, one thing that we should be united about is that it needs to change. Yeah. Black Lives Matter. Well, and I think that's it, Ben, is, is it's not I don't think anyone expects us to have the answers. Uh, I think what's expected of us and what we should expect of ourselves is is you might not have the answer like this is what this is what will fix it but there are actions that can be taken to move towards that angle of it being fixed um and that's what we i guess that's where our responsibility falls i i don't think anyone expects us to solve it but right. the things that are being called out to myself to to shub to you that that we can do um we need to do them. That's the answer. That that's the point. I guess I want to get across in, in all of this. If I rambled, nothing else makes sense. There are things that can be done today, tomorrow, for the rest of your life that will even small victories that will take, give it's positive steps in the right direction. And, and that's what it's going to take a collective, a collective effort to move in that direction. I just want to touch on, you know, we talked, you guys talked about the protests I'm going to go back to that real quick. And I kind of mentioned it earlier, you know, with Jalen Brown and Malcolm Brogdon leading the peaceful protest down in Atlanta. Um, But when I saw that, like, that wasn't like a notification that was like popped up from ESPN saying like talking about how Jalen Brown and, you know, Brogdon were leading these protests. It was probably like one of their fifth or sixth headlines, you know, down, it was farther down. So you, you did have to find it. And then, but one of the things I did get a notification on was that, you know, the college football hall of fame in, in Atlanta, the same city that the, you know, Jalen Brown and Brogdon are leading their peaceful protest. And, you know, the call, I got a notification that the College Football Hall of Fame, you know, has been, had been like destroyed by looters and stuff like that. So, you know, that's an issue where, you know, that is becoming more, or that, that's getting more of the media coverage than what Jalen Brown and Brogdon are doing for, you know, what, what they're doing over there for their community. And the fact that the College Football Hall of Fame getting destroyed, I mean, which it is, which it is a terrible thing that that got destroyed, but the fact that that's over, you know, Jalen Brown and Brogdon trying to make a change is, you know, it's kind of sickening to me. And I mean, last thing for me is I want this to feel like, you know, we're not talking to you guys, we're talking with you guys. So I, we want to, you know, start the conversation. Obviously the conversation has been started. You know, the, I'm one thing that I'm happy about on social media, there's tons of shit on social media, but I'm glad that people are at least discussing and, you know, trying to make efforts on using the platform to, you know, make true change. 
but I hope you guys, whoever's listened to the, this part of the, the, the podcast that, you know, if there's parts we miss, if there's parts that we don't understand that we're not capturing correctly or, you know, what, if you think, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Educate us. That's what I, that's what I was getting at, Ben. I, I mean, yeah. there are people out there who like, that's, that's part of the problem, the uneducation, like, and I'm like, that's, and that's step one, acknowledging it. So to, I guess I don't mean to derail you, but yes, if there are people out there, like call us out, say what we need to be doing, what we should have said, what we should have talked about. That's, that's what I want. That's what we, that's what we want. That's what we want to do with this. For sure. I mean, do you guys have anything else before uh, we kind of wrap this up? No, man. Okay. Apologize. Say you're going to be better and be better. And we love you guys and we hope, you know, stay safe out there and, you know, do your best to try to make the change because the country needs it. Everyone needs it. Black lives matter.